7.03, and when you hear that music, it can only mean one thing. Time for Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and another big one on tap for you tonight, and I'll, I'll talk to Ira about it in just one second. But Ira, not in studio. I'm sure you're gallivanting around the country somewhere, attending sports events. Where are you now? Um, well, I'm in New York right now. I'm flying to Los Angeles, so I'll be uh, in L.A. tomorrow for the going to get a chance to watch the, the tournament that I love, that uh, Genesis Open is at the Riviera Country Club. Um, almost every all the top golfers will be there at it, so hopefully watch some practice rounds. And this is when Tiger, uh, last year, he did make the cut this year. This is his tournament. So uh, Tiger's definitely playing, Rory's playing, uh, Jason Day's playing, uh, Speed, everyone's going to be there. And it's, uh, it'll, it's sort of the kickoff for golf this year. Yes, it is indeed, and I can't wait to hear about uh, all your stories from that. Um, you know, I was in Delray Beach uh, Saturday night, and you can't walk two feet without seeing Francis Tiafo's face. Um, it, he's been on the show before. He's a lot of fun. Um, tell us a little bit about Francis Tiafo because he's going to be joining us at 745. Yeah, we taped this interview a couple days ago um, with him. Uh, he, we had him on last year. Uh, I was he won the Delray Open last uh, last year at the same time and he's had a great year and a great run at the Australian Open. Uh, made it to the quarterfinals and lost to Rafael Nadal. He's now up to 29th in the world. Um, he's at this point right now where he's looking could be potentially be a top 10 player by the end of this year. He does well in the majors. Uh, at the end of the year, he's in he's a top 10 player and who knows he has a type of game. I you like to see him get these long runs these tournaments because at 21 years old. He's the the next great American potential. Uh, and there's been the McEnroe's and the Couriers and the Sampras's and the Changs uh, at that level, uh, and he really needs to. This is a. There's been a lot of Americans that have been top thirty in the world, but to get to that top ten, to get to that top five, to win a major, to be an Andy Roddick who even just got one major win uh, at the U.S. Open, it, it's that's next that next step, and he has all the talent in the world. Uh, if he keeps working at it, he can. But it's great that we had him on our show, and he's playing in the New York Open this week, and next week he's going to be the Delray Open, which is a great tournament to see. Yeah, 745, Francis TFO joins us here on Ira on Sports. A lot more difficult to get him on this time. It, not that it wasn't hard the first time, but now that he's uh, you know really moving up the ranks, not easy to get a hold of him. You'll hear that interview right here. Ira, always like to ask you where you've been. Well, I, I, I went to the Duke-Virginia game on Saturday night, um, growing up in Altoona, Pennsylvania, I, we didn't have ESPN when I was little. We didn't have uh, Fox Sports 1, and ESPN News, ESPN 2, ESPN, all the other stuff. And I listened to a lot of radio. And I loved listening to, for some reason, from Charlottesville, Virginia to Altoona, which is seven, eight hours by car, uh, you were able to get the Virginia radio station. At the time when I was listening, that's when Ralph Sampson played at Virginia. He was a three-time college basketball player of the year. He was 7-4, the greatest college basketball player I've ever seen, uh, dominant, amazing. His Virginia teams were like number one the entire year and just always lost in the state tournament in huge upsets. But it was just amazing to listen to him, his games, his teams, Othell Wilson, Jim Miller, Tim Mullen, I mean, the names. And the, the gentleman who broadcast the games, who I, the name I could not figure out it was, was phenomenal how they painted the picture of the games. 
but I just love listening to, to UVA games. Uh, I've never been there. It was the first time I was ever at in UVA for a, for a game, so it was like real excited to come down for the Duke Virginia game. It was a big time game. Um, I mean, when you go to a game and you see LeBron James there, Maverick Carter, his assistant business manager, Rich Paul, his agent, Razan Rondo in the house, uh, definitely it was a very big time game. No, surely it was, and I, and I want to hear all about it, but you always have interesting stories on just, you know, what surrounds you going to these games. So anything like that pop up? Yeah, well, I, as I said, I've never been down to Charlottesville before. Uh, I've been to Charlottesville, but never for a game, and it, it's an interesting town. That right by the campus, it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And then there's sports bars outside right around town, and there's a downtown that is more of a – they have a, like a mall where people walk around and go to, to different restaurants. I went to a bar called Miller's um, that where Dave Matthews got a start. And they had this pretty famous uh, brass band that was there playing that was pretty cool. Um, but it's a great atmosphere in the field. Uh, people are all dressed out in uh, orange <laughs> and the Virginia colors. Uh, the arena is uh, John Paul Jones uh, Arena. And it's not named after the uh, uh, John Paul Jones is the famous uh, revolutionary, the first like great revolutionary naval commander, but actually a guy who donated a lot of money. His name, his dad's name was John Paul Jones. But um, it was, it's a new arena. It's only been open since 2006. It seats 15,000 fans. And it's a hard, it's a different arena because there's, there's suites in the middle. There's a lower section. There's upper section. It was really hard to get tickets. I mean, just came from getting tickets at the Super Bowl. So it's like now to another place because they give out like 5,000 tickets to students down below. So almost the entire lower bowl is students. Mm-hmm. Then you have the suites. Then you have like, I don't know, there must have been like 200 band members there. And so it's really hard when you go on StubHub to try to figure out tickets and, and get them. But I got, I set up high, but more in the center. So it was a really good view of the action. And it was fun driving there because I usually go to these places that don't get parking passes. And I'm driving, and there's a scalper outside, and he's like, hey, I saw you at the Super Bowl. <laughs> so there's a guy who was in Atlanta at the Super Bowl, and he had a parking pass right next to the stadium <laughs> that I was able to get and park right there. So that was, that was, I think, pretty funny where he's talking about the Super Bowl and this and that. I'm like, you're everywhere. And he goes, wait, you're everywhere. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was, it was a lot of fun to go into it. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was, I, I thought that people were, it was, also, I, I think they did something really great at this arena. They had a lot of entrances. I hate going to small arenas like, uh, especially college basketball, where they're not used to having lots of fans come like a Duke Virginia game, and there's like one entrance, and you're standing outside. It was freezing cold, and you don't want to stand outside forever. They must have had like 30 entrances to the arena, so people were able to get in easily. And I, the, the sight lines were good. Um, it was, I love before the game, they turn the lights out. They really make it a big deal. When Tony Bennett, the coach of Virginia, walks out, it's like this big star. I mean, no one knows his name's Tony Bennett, but it's not. He's a much <laughs> younger Tony Bennett than the singer. He has 136 and 25 records that came out there. And it, it, they really, it's really built up. And this was a big game for them. This was, this was um, Sue versus three. They were, you know, the Duke just beat them early last month they, uh, by two. Uh, 72-70. Uh, Duke is 20 and two. Virginia is 21 and one. Uh, this was a this was a huge game. I mean, the fans were. In it. I love going to college basketball because the fans are screaming the entire game. This is not like an NBA game. It's not where they're just sitting there like wine and cheese. They are into this game, old and young. The students are sitting down low, ringing the arena. Uh, it was there was a ton of excitement for this game. Why don't you tell us uh, about the game itself, Ira? By the way, this is Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. It's 7-Eleven. I'm Mike Balsamo talking about Duke versus Virginia. It was number two versus number three. That's where Ira was, ha- Ira was hanging out this week. So uh, tell us about the game. Well, I thought the one other aspect was LeBron being there. Now, so LeBron comes right when the game starts. Do you happen to know why LeBron was I mean, there? He was in Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia the next game, uh, the next day, he was just playing Philadelphia. So he comes down, which is pretty far, so he probably flew. But, I mean, everybody knows. And he's not just sitting in a box somewhere. He's sitting right under the basket. So, like, the guy who comes out and cleans up where, all the, where someone falls and takes the sweat off the floor, he, he could have he done that himself. He was sitting right there. Every player saw him. His rich recall, which followed his, his agent, who was the agent for Anthony Davis and for Ben Simmons, who's been in the news, he's sitting next to him, Maverick Carter, his other Rajon Rondo. They're sitting right there. And it was pretty neat. I was trying to get pictures of Zion Williamson and uh, and LeBron in the same picture, like the old the king and the new king and all the different ideas about that. And that was pretty cool to see. And he was active. He stayed the entire game. He cheered when, when Zion had a great block. He got up. I, mean, you could just, I was right watching on the side to him. So you could see him, and he was just active, engaged. I didn't see any embrace between Zion and him at all, though, during the game. And it might have happened before or some, or I don't know, at a moment, but I didn't see them. Like, there was no moment where, like, the ball went in the crowd and Zion crashed into LeBron and LeBron, like, patted him on the back or something. There wasn't anything like that. But um, <laughs> Duke right now is going with five starters, and they're playing most of the game. And they have two reserves, but Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, uh, Trey Jones, Cam Reddish, who are all NBA picks. Zion, Barrett, and Reddish will be two or three of the top five players in the, in the draft. Uh, Bolden, who's actually playing really well as a big guy, who's, who is a junior, who's now coming on, is probably going to be drafted two in the first round. They essentially have like four, four to five first-round picks on this team. Um, Duke jumped out early. The key to the game for Duke was shooting. They're, all year long, they've been terrible from threes, but they're winning games. But they were 13 for 21 for 62%. If they shoot like that the rest of the season, no, they'll be unbeatable. They'll win every game. There's no doubt. I doubt they're going to shoot that well. But this was good shooting against one of the best defenses in the country in terms of Virginia. So it was a really, really good shooting performance. I think Duke is rounding. I've said this last week and the week before. Duke's getting better. They're improving. They're learning how to play. They, are, they can improve. I mean, they've been practicing. <laughs> they have a great coach. They're great players. They should be getting better. So it's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. But Duke jumped out early. R.J. Barrett had two threes. They went up 8-2. And then uh, with eight minutes to go, Duke was up 29-15. And that was great because the arena did go quiet. It was, it, it just, it was not as loud as the game because Duke had this lead. But then they blew the lead at the end of the second, at the first half. Uh, Kyle Guy from Virginia played great. I mean, he scored five points right at the end of the first half, made it 39-35. The second half came up. Duke went up again, 52-41. They got up by 11. And then the key to the game was a 66-61. Five minutes to go in the game. Zion, who really wasn't playing that well. He was some turnovers. He didn't shoot poorly, but it just it was he was having a little trouble. But he made this great pass to Bolden underneath the basket, like a no-look, amazing pass. Bolden does it. Then he comes back down on defense. And DeAndre Hunter, the star for Virginia, has this open three-point shot on the side. And usually you see games like this where someone just chooses to shoot it. Zion is on the other side of the court. There were other Duke players between him and Hunter shooting the three. But Zion, I'm sure you've seen this on the highs or whatever, he just explodes across the court, like on turbo. Like if you play Madden NFL and you can put that turbo, <laughs> he just exploded, jumped perfectly, and blocked the shot in the stands. People were going nuts. Even the Virginia fans were. When Virginia inbounded the ball, they still had three seconds to go. They were so confused, they forgot what the shot clock was. The shot clock expired. Zion goes back down. Barrett misses a shot. Zion gets the offense rebound, puts it back up, 70-61. Uh, Jones hit a shot to, take, and, and, and to uh, you know, seal the deal, and they ended up winning 81-71. But that Zion's play on that was getting, getting the uh, good pass on the one side, the great assist, then getting the offensive rebound, making the block. I mean, he finished six for eight. 
only shot eight shots, 18 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, three blocks. Um, Reddish was great for Duke. He's a guy that has not played well this year, but now is starting to come on. Six for 10, five for eight from three, 17 points. R.J. Barrett had eight for 15. Uh, he was uh, six, six for 10 from threes, seven boards, three assists, 26 points. He played great. Um, I think what Zion's doing right now is R.J. is out of control sometimes when he shoots, and Zion's just saying, well, if he's going to go and drive down and take a bad shot, I'm just going to get the offensive rebound and put it right back up. He is the most selfless player. He is the great player. He does everything on the court. I've now the second time I've seen him live. He's faster than everybody else on the court. He's stronger and he hustles more than it. He plays like he is going to get cut. Like if he doesn't hustle, he's got five minutes in the game. He is diving after every ball. He is trying. He is the. I just. I'm the biggest fan. I mean, I'm totally standing. You can see there's tons of pro scouts there, and I was talking to a couple scouts after the game. They're like, "Well, he's exactly what everyone says he is," and they all talk about one thing: his motor, his his enthusiasm, how hard he plays. More than his skill set, it's the is that they to see a player with the talent that he has. I mean, that's where the Jordan level comes in. Jordan played hard. Jordan played like he was going to be cut. Jordan played like he was like the last guy on the team, and he played diving after balls and hustling. That's what Zion does too. So it was very exciting from that perspective. But uh, um, Virginia's a good team. Virginia could be in the Final Four. A uh, guy had 16 points, Hunter 11. Um, they have this guy, Salt from New England, a big guy. But in the end, it was, it was, it was just uh, Duke just dominated uh, with better players and better shooting. It's seven sixteen. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Francis TFO, number twenty nine uh, tennis player in the world, joins us at seven forty five. Um, what about some of the other top teams throughout the uh, throughout the NCAA? Well, it's interesting. Now we're starting to get. You're starting to feel like it, now we're into it. Like football's over. You turn the TV on on Saturdays and Sundays. There's not a lot. This is the time to really watch. There's a ton of college basketball. Every night there's college basketball games. The NBA is going to take almost like, seems like going to be 10 days off for the All-Star break. So you really have a chance to turn the TV and watch some of these teams. Certainly when Duke is on, watch Duke. And Tennessee is number one in the country. They're 22-1. and They don't seem to be wanting to lose. They beat Florida this week, 73-61. And Grant Williams is their star player. They are, they are a fun team to watch. They are definitely, they deserve to be number one. I think Duke's a better team, but Tennessee will probably most likely be one of the four top seeds for the tournament. Gonzaga, which beat Duke earlier this year, now they're playing that soft part of their schedule in the Western Conference. They really don't have, they played St. Mary's, they won by 40. They played their tough games early, and now they're playing the conference schedule. They're going to beat everybody by 20, 30 points. Kentucky, surprisingly, they're number five. And this is not the Kentucky team with all the lottery picks like Duke has. And they are a team that has, some players that really maybe didn't pan out, some transfers, but they're number five. They're 20 and three. They're more experienced. They beat Mississippi State this week, 71 67. So Kentucky could definitely be a number one seed. And then Nevada, who last year, anybody who watched the tournament last year saw how well Nevada played. Well, this year, they're 23 and one. They're number six in the country. They beat New Mexico uh, by 30. Again, now they're playing the, 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 their Mountain West uh, schedule, which are going to be easier games and blow all these teams out. But they're composed of a bunch of seniors that are really good and a good transfer. They're going to be phenomenal. Michigan for the Big Ten, 22 and 2, 61. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're 22 and 2, seventh in the country. And they're, they are very good. You saw what they did at Tormer last year, making the final game. Beeline um, is a great coach. Uh, and the team is, is ready to go. I mean, they are playing well. They should win the Big Ten, and they potentially could be a number one seed. Uh, then you get some other teams like UNC, which plays tonight against Virginia at 7 o'clock. It's on, going on right now. 
they sort of, they're fun to watch because they try to score a zillion points. I mean, they, they beat Miami 88-85. They are just going to go up and down and score. Um, so they're exciting. Michigan State's number nine. They play great, uh, too. They're another top Big Ten teams. And then two other teams are Marquette and Nova. Uh, this week they played a really good game. Marquette beat Nova 56-54. Uh, Villanova's not as good as they've been to the last three years. But Jay Wright, is, Jay Wright knows how to coach in these tournaments, and they have smart players, good shooters, the recipe for success in the tournament. Marquette's also a, 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 you know, number 10 in the country, and they've played really good. The team that's funny is Kansas. A lot of people like Kansas number one this year. That's when I said when Duke, when the, when the first polls came out, they go, Kansas won Duke too. I go, that's impossible. But they had, as Abuki, who's their star, got hurt. Um, their second leading scorer uh, took a leave of absence for the team. They have other injuries on the team. Um, they haven't played really well this year. They're still 13th. They'll still be like a three or four seed, be extremely dangerous. I mean, they definitely have talent on that team, but it's an interesting, it's not the Kansas team that people thought it was going to be when the season started. And so tonight, I mean, tomorrow's Duke at Louisville, uh, which will be fun to watch. Louisville's playing great. Chris Mack, the team, has done a great job at Louisville this year, uh, much better than anyone expected. And then Virginia's at Carolina going on right now. So it's an exciting week for college basketball. Start watching it. I love it. Uh, certainly rooting for Duke, but it was great to be in that arena and to see the UVA Duke game. Uh, it was just a great atmosphere. Love, and I just love the excitement. Uh, Ira, I don't remember an NBA trade deadline as crazy as what we experienced last week. Um, started off with my New York Knicks moving uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis in what I think was a really good move, and I know that this is a pretty polarizing, but I think the Knicks made out well in this. This is a trade that I think, you know, we are, this trade is, can you put it incomplete? Like when you go to school, when you get like INC, like this is one of those things where I'm turning my paper later because I think this is a trade that both teams cannot just win, but be super wins for, like great wins. Like, because what happened, and then we didn't really, we rushed it last week talking about this. Understand Christopher Singers. He is a great player. He does the rebounds, the blocks, everything. But he gets hurt. And also, he's not motivated to play in New York. And Fisdale, the coach of the Knicks, had a problem with Marc Gasol when he was in Memphis, had a problem with, with uh, Persingis, has certainly a problem with Enos Kanter. It seems like a lot of the European basketball players has problems with. And certainly, Persingis didn't want to be involved with a mess. The Knicks have lost 16 games in a row. He's been hurt all year. He tore his ACL. He's recovering from that, but people expect him to come back. But he just didn't seem happy, uh, happy at all playing for the, for the, for the Knicks. Didn't, told them he's not committed to being there long term. So there's no reason to keep him there. People say build around him, but it, he just didn't seem happy there. But you send him to the Mavericks. Now, what's so great? The Mavericks have tried to get with Mark Cuban. You see him on Shark Tank. You see him on all these shows. They've tried to get these big-name free agents. They haven't been able to sign anybody. Dallas doesn't have state taxes. It's a they play sell-out crowds. It's a great arena, great fan base. It's like the Cowboys. But I think it hurts. their team is hurt because they are. The Cowboys are there, and the Mavericks will always be second fiddle to the Cowboys. But uh, Cuban said, well, we already have Dirk Nowitzki, the greatest European basketball player of all time. And then he has now Luka Doncic, who is – is clearly the rookie of the year this year, easily the rookie of the year, and maybe one of the top 20 basketball players playing, and he's 19 years old, and he's going to be the superstar in the league. And then you can team him with Porzingis, who they're friends with. They've been friends for years, and, and Nowitzki is Porzingis' idol. So this, you've got a situation where they've shown, they've shown that Carlisle, the coach, knows how to work with European players. They play more of a European-style passing game. It is a great move for Dallas. So now they've teamed Persingas with Doncic, 
They probably have Nurk, Dirk Nowitzki to help them. Maybe he comes back next year as a mentor role. And then you have these two stars on the team. You don't have to go out and sign big name free agents. You can build around those two. If Barsinga stays healthy and Donisic stays healthy, you have two players. They could win a title there. And they don't have to win a title next year. But four years from now, when they're 24, 25 years old, they could certainly win a title. So the point is, I think it's a great move for the Mavericks. For the Knicks, it's, it's a gamble. The Knicks' gamble was this. They got, they got they made a trade. They got rid of some players, and a lot of they weighed. But was they opened up two salary cap spots. And, that's, and, they're, and they're gunning for Kevin Durant. They're gunning for Kyrie Irving. This is, this is a trade to get the superstars. Or Kawhi Leonard. You never can't count that out. Not Jimmy Butler and Kendall Walker. There's other good free agents. But they have to get two of those three top free agents. Uh, Irving, Durant, and Leonard. And if they get two of those three and they get a draft race, I mean, that's why they're going to have they're going the worst record in the league and they'll have a chance, one of the three teams with a 15, 60% chance to get uh, Zion Williamson. They have those two, team them with Zion, they're going to be, they'll be the favorite to win the East. So, and also then they could potentially make a move for Anthony Davis. There's a lot of options they, they can do. But the Knicks really, the, the, the trade for them is what's going to happen uh, with, their, with what free agents they can. And they have, they've now have totally opened up. They have two full max um, uh, positions where they can go and sign uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and create this super team. But if they don't sign them, then they're in trouble. They'll be terrible again. You know, Ira, I didn't hear about Kyrie Irving requesting a trade. And this is something that, uh, you know, what, what was the deal with that scenario? He didn't request a trade, but they asked him, are you happy all along? The whole, I mean, <laughs> I have to feel bad for, for Tyrone Lue and all these coaches with the Cavaliers because definitely LeBron and Kyrie have definitely this drama all around them. So Kyrie, remember, was at the Cavaliers. He demanded a trade from the Cavaliers to go to Boston or anywhere. They traded him to Boston for Isaiah Thomas. The trade really worked out for the Celtics because they were able to get Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas had been injured and ended being waived by the, by the uh, Cavaliers. Well, Kyrie played last year, but we talked about this that he got hurt at the middle of the year. And then we talked about in the playoffs, he didn't play in the playoffs at all. The Celtics overachieved. Then at the last game of the season, game seven, they're playing the Cavaliers. Kyrie has dental surgery. That game doesn't even show up for the game. This year he comes back. He's having one of the best career, the best years of his life in terms of scoring and assists, but he's, is battling with these players like Tatum and Brown and Rozier, the young players that carried the Celtics last year. He doesn't seem to be happy. And so before the year started, he goes, yeah, sure, certainly I want to, I'm going to be a Celtic. And then he was just gave another interview, and we asked Alex Reamer uh, last week about it, and he sort of said, well, um, I'm going to look what options are out there. I'm not going to say I'm going to be here, but it wasn't this I'm going to be here. And then they asked, asked Danny Ainge, they said, well, what, what about Kyrie's comments? And he said, well, we're like engaged now. We can't really sign him long-term until July 1st. That's when we could do the long-term deal. So now you have this whole issue about, you know, could Kyrie, is, is Kyrie in play? And there is that image that he is from New York, would want to come back to the Knicks. And there's all this rumor then Kevin Durant is all the rumors that Durant coming to New York where he was giving a press conference this week and literally slammed the microphone down and said, stop asking about New York. <laughs> I didn't do the trade. I'm not involved with that. And it was like real. And he's a very pretty affable guy into the media, but he just was really mean and nasty about this. So, again, Durant and, uh, and Kyrie have been linked to the Knicks. They haven't, they haven't said, oh, I want to play for the Knicks. They're not even allowed to say that. But it's been that talk. And I think that hovers over all these offseason moves and all these playoffs, and it's affecting the teams they're playing on. Not so much for Golden State, but for Boston, because Boston hasn't been playing well. That certainly the Kyrie situation has uh, cast some sort of uh, gloom on the season. You know, Ira, as a Knicks fan, 
I feel like every big player ever has been linked to the Knicks and never pans out. I would be thrilled to get uh, Irving Durant or um, uh, or Kawhi Leonard, any of those. Hey, even Jimmy Butler or Kemba, like you said, I'll take whatever we can get at this point with this team. Uh, this is Iron Sports. It's the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo at 727. Um, Anthony Davis, everyone is... I kind of commend the Pelicans for not jump. You know, this guy announces he wants out, and they said, you know what? You're under contract with us. You don't control your destiny. We control your destiny until you're a free agent, and he wasn't moved at the deadline. Well, they're paying him $25 million this year and $27 million next year, so it's not like he's at a below-market contractor, say. So they are paying him a lot to play there. Um, but he said, I want to be traded. His agent is Rich Paul. He, he clearly wants to go to the Lakers. He clearly wants to play with LeBron. But again, he's not just for this year, but for next year also. Uh, the Lakers went, uh, and instead of being in a power position, the Lakers offered them the entire team, Kuzma, Ingram, everybody but LeBron. They got anybody on their team and plus two draft picks. And the Pelicans said, no, we just don't want them. We don't want what you're offering. A lot of that comes back to when to Magic, actually. Because when Magic drafted Lonzo Ball ahead of Tatum, that was a bad move on their part. If they would have drafted last year uh, Tatum out of Duke, who played great for the Celtics, that might have been the trade. Because now what the Pelicans are hoping for is that Davis might want to play for Boston and they could make this trade for Boston later. The trade, was, it's a very complicated thing with these whole trades, but they could not have made a trade for Davis, even though they had salary cap space, at this year because Kyrie Irving is a max contract player and so is Davis on a certain contract. You have two of those players, but after July 1st, they're allowed to do that. So they could not make the trade with Boston now, uh, but they can make it on July 1st. So that they're holding out hope that there's, like if you're the Pelicans, you're saying, look, this trade that the Lakers offered is going to be with us, with us three months from now anyway. So why do I have to take this trade? Because somebody else might give me a better trade. One of the things they're thinking of is what if the Knicks get Zion Williamson? What if they get that first pick? You know, they might trade that first pick for Anthony Davis. So that's another thing they could be traded. So that's the thing they're thinking. Now, there was an issue whether they should even play Anthony Davis because they're out of the playoffs. They're not really playing for the playoffs right now. They want to get a worse record. So what do they do with Anthony Davis? But the league sort of said, you got to keep playing him. He's healthy. He wants to play. You have to keep playing him. But they've noticed that his minutes are like 25, 30 minutes, not 35 to 40. Um, they're trying to stay healthy because the worst thing for them would be if Anthony Davis got hurt and then was unable to play. But they're able to offer him at the end of the year five years, $250 million contract. Five years, 250. Nobody else can offer him more than a four-year, like 180, 190 contract. So he'd be giving up about $60 million in guaranteed money, which he still might want to do. But that they, they still might think they can convince him to stay in New Orleans. But that's just, it was really interesting what moved. Now, it, it affected the Lakers because everybody in the Lakers thought they were going to be traded. And there was that one picture of LeBron sitting, sitting there on the bench, and the rest of the team was on the other side of the bench, like five feet away. And they came out, and they lost this week before the trade deadline. They lost to the Pacers by 42 points, the worst loss in LeBron's, the worst, uh, loss in LeBron's career. Um, but uh, after the trade line deadline, they rebounded, and they beat the Celtics on a last-minute shot by Rondo. So the question is, what are the Lakers going to make the playoffs? Um, but the point was with Davis, he definitely affected the team and affected that. You know, that was what I think one thing the league might have to think about is not playing games 
that day of the tread day deadline because people were on the team getting traded, getting going. Harrison Barnes was in the Mavericks and was traded out of the Mavericks. You saw people coming in and out of the lineup. It did make the games look pathetic and not professional and almost amateurish. And they really should come up with a different way where players are not being played and being traded. And it's just, it, maybe perhaps just not have any, any games the day of the trade deadline. That's not a bad idea, and I like your point about um, you know Lonzo Ball because you're absolutely right. If they were sitting on a Tatum, uh, you know someone like that that the Pelicans might actually want, then this trade might have gone down. But yeah, who wants to deal? You know, Lonzo, he's not an awful player, but he's not a game changer. And then you get his dad involved too. It's just it's not a, a trade I would want to make if I was the Pelicans. So I understand them uh, not budging on that one. Um, Nikola Mirotic. Um, this is a bit. Ira, in my life, I'm 36 years old. The Bucks have never been good. <laughs> the Milwaukee's just never been a good team, and I'm excited to see that this team's actually putting something together. They're buying instead of selling, and they picked up Nikola Mirotic. Well, I think this is, people keep saying, "Oh, the Golden State's going to win. The playoffs going to be terrible." I, look, the East is going to be exciting. You have four teams that are really good, and if you watch the Sixers play the Lakers yesterday, they're exciting now to watch. Um, uh, but the Bucks have Adepenko, who is considered maybe the, one of the top two or three players in the league, on their team. They, Chris Middleton is a great outside shooter. Eric Bledsoe, they have the former rookie of the year, Morgan Brogdon. They have a really good team. They bring this Mirosic guy in. He's 27 years old, 6'10 from Yugoslavia. He averaged three threes a game, 70 points, eight rebounds. He played it the, for the Bulls. They traded him to Pelicans. He played great there. Add them to that lineup. They have a really good team. This team is really good. They're the number one. First of all, they have the best record in the East. And they might be playing in the NBA Finals. So get used to it. I mean, that, that's, there's a good chance that either Toronto or Milwaukee is going to be playing in the NBA Finals. But they're fun to watch. They're, just because they play Milwaukee, oh, that's not a sexy city. Edithinko is a great, amazing player. That's why they call him the Greek Creek. He's an amazing player to watch. They are a fun team to watch. When we talked about last year, they just didn't have a coach. Now they have a coach in Golden Olser. He's really coaching them well. Um, they really have so they had Jason Kidd. There was a point where they didn't even seem to have a coach last year. I said, let Milwaukee get a coach. Let them know what's going on. Then they're going to be good. And this year they're playing great. So I thought that Mirosic's a great shooter. To put a shooter on that team who's tall and gets rebounds uh, is just, I think, it was, that was like one of these additions where when they're playing in the NBA Finals, they're like, wow, that Mirosic addition was the reason why they're playing in the NBA Finals. Um, another, you know, you just brought up the 76ers, and they seem to be all in on trying to pull this down. Like you said, it's not going to be easy. The East has some, has some good teams. Um, but they built in Tobias Harris. I Got to admit, I don't know that much about him. I know he's a solid player. Do you think he's what it's going to take to get over the you know to get over the hump for the 76ers? Tobias Harris is a, is another. He's twenty six. He's six nine. He's almost the same size as Mirochik, uh, and he has the same skill set, sort of more. Just a great three point. He's shooting forty three percent from threes this year, averaging twenty points. I I see a lot of Clipper games. I've got to see Tobias play. Now, he's played, for a guy who's played, he's 20 years old, been in the league like seven years, played for Milwaukee, Orlando, Detroit, and the Clippers. So he's been traded a lot. But i got to give Tobias credit. He's getting better. He's improving. He's not someone who came in the league at 21. This is not the 21-year-old Tobias Harris. He is improving every year. And that's what, and now he's at a level where he might get a max deal. Now, the Clippers are looking at him like saying, I don't think we want to give him max money. We're not there. He's not, we, want, we, have, we think we're going to get Kawhi Leonard. So why do we have to give money to Tobias Harris? So that's why they made the trade. They're like, we like him. He's a good player. We're, we're competing for the eighth playoff spot. Only eight teams make the playoffs in the West. But do we really want him? Because we're going to give him all the money. We don't want to be the AC. Let's, get, let's clear up our cap space, get lottery picks for them. Or not lottery picks, but draft picks. 
So they traded for the Sixers and got a guy. They got Landry Shamet, who's this is actually a fairly good rookie, a rookie. And they got a 2020 first round pick and Miami's 2021 pick. And what was interesting about that trade was that, that the uh, Sixers have been always building for the future, the process, trust the process, you know, just acquire assets, acquire picks. Now they're finally trying to cash the picks in. They got Jimmy Butler. They have Tobias Harris. They already they drafted Ben Simmons. They have Joel Embiid. J.J. Redick is playing great this year. They have the second-best starting five in the league. So now they're ready to go and, uh, and focus on winning. And then they made another trade. They traded the number one pick last year, uh, Markel Fultz, to the Magic for nothing. For uh, Actually, an Oklahoma City's first-round pick and a Cavs' second-round pick. But considering that he was the number one pick in the draft and potentially could be the biggest bust in the, one of the biggest busts in the history of the NBA, uh, it was an interesting pick. But he's now in Orlando, and they're going to try to fix his jump shot I mean, he came in as a, this great shooter, great player, who they thought they were going to pair with Fultz and Simmons and Embiid, and they just traded him for really for something to Orlando. But again, that trade was weird. I mean, the Celtics had the third pick and the first pick, and the Sixers had the third pick, and the Celtics traded back and got another draft pick so the Sixers could move up to draft Fultz. Now Tatum is someone who people consider going to be this elite all-NBA player. Fultz is terrible. Ball, who went number two not viewed as that great a player, whereas Tatum went three, Fox went four for, uh, for Sacramento, who's playing great, and Donovan Mitchell, who went 11 for Utah, is also a, a superstar player. So it was a very interesting draft where the players, not one and two, have been great. But the Sixers are going all in, and they looked great last night against the Lakers. Tobias Harris looks like he fit in well. Um, they're shooting well. They don't have much of a bench, but they look great playing last night. Ira, did you think, did you have any faith in Markel Fultz being a superstar? I thought that was one of the weirdest draft choices I'd ever seen. I had seen him play. We talked, I, I saw him play when he was in college. I didn't think so. I, I felt like he played at Washington. No one saw him play much. They didn't remember, they didn't even make the tournament. When you hear a player, now Ben Simmons didn't make the tournament either, but I saw him play more, and I thought LSU's team was absolutely terrible. But for Washington, not even to make the NCAA basketball tournament, you're going to be the number one draft pick. You got to make the tournament. You got to be one of the 30 some teams or, or 20 some teams to get at large bids or whatever to make it if you're that good. Um, and I mean, you, you couldn't imagine Zion. Well, you could put Zion Williams as one of the worst players in basketball, and they're making the NCAA tournament. So the point is, is that I, I just don't think to be a number one pick. Uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was, and certainly the Celtics didn't think so. The Celtics, uh, you know, they, the Celtics they said the Celtics had the number one pick in the draft, traded back because they didn't want to draft holes. And, uh, and, and this trade is, people thought when they made the trade, oh, they're both winners in the end. Well, they weren't both winners. The Sixers totally were a loser, and the Celtics were clearly the winner. And, you know, it's funny you bring up Ben Simmons. Magic Johnson has to be the king of tampering. This guy, he seems to have his hands in everything, and he's talking to Ben Simmons. Well, he, he gave a quote. His quote was that Ben Simmons' people, Ben Simmons, let's clarify this. He plays for the Philadelphia 76ers. Magic Johnson is not just a retired basketball player. Magic Johnson is the general manager of the Lakers. Ben Simmons is under contract with the Philadelphia 76ers. So the point is he plays the Sixers. So the point is Magic just unannounced goes and makes a statement that he was reached out. He goes, Ben Simmons' people reached out to him about Ben Simmons working with him to learn because they both are tall point guards in the league. It would make sense that Ben Simmons would want to look out for Magic for advice if Magic wasn't working for the Lakers <laughs> on another team. And of course, the person that contacted Magic was LeBron's agent, Rich Paul. So LeBron wasn't like this some person called. I mean, sort of Magic sees Rich Paul every day, and Rich Paul just said, hey, Ben wants to work with you, and 
That's what it is. And and the, and so Magic goes, well, if the Sixers say it's okay, of course the Sixers said no. And uh, and they said no, and, and they said it. But it's just funny how that was like a story today. And it's just interesting how, again, everything is around LeBron and Magic, and it's just the center of the universe with all the different teams and the players and how these players, because people think that Simmons will want to play for the Lakers someday. He dates Kendall Jenner. Uh, he loves uh, Los Angeles. So you could put, now you're thinking the pieces are coming together, Simmons and Anthony Davis and LeBron and everything. So very interesting. It really is. 739, this is Ira on Sports. It's 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. 745, number 29 ranked tennis player in the world. Francis Tifo joins us here on Ira on Sports. Um, the Lakers, pretty bad, Ira. Yeah, I think... The issue with the Lakers right now, the West is set up right now. This is going to be really a great way to come down. They're 12 and a half games out of the first place. They're not going to get the first place. That's what the, the Warriors have. But the Kings are 10 and a half games back. And everyone's thinking, and now the Clippers made the trade, so they would go out of the getting that pick. Well, LeBron's been to nine straight NBA finals. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a fixture at the NBA finals. The idea of him not made the playoffs since 2004. So it's been forever since he's just not made the NBA playoffs, not just the finals. So, but they're two games out, and everyone thinks that they're going to make the playoffs. But the Kings are playing, the Sacramento Kings are playing really, really well. And they are a good team, and they're motivated. And they might, the Lakers better be careful because they might not make that this last playoff spot. Um, they, who knows? I mean, they're all bunched up between the Blazers, the Rockets, the Jazz, the Spurs. The Lakers go on a run for the next 20 some games. Yeah, they might end up being the fourth of the seed. But they're, they've been inconsistent, they've lost games. Um, I don't sure about that. So it'll, it'll be great to see at the end what happens in terms of can the, the whole storyline will be at the end of the year. Can LeBron make the playoffs? Can the Lakers make the playoffs? And how well in the West and the East, um, how well the Celtics and the Sixers and the Bucks and the Raptors are playing? You know, a lot of people think that Kawhi Leonard is pretty much gone as soon as he's able to leave Toronto. I, I think he might stay, but, you know, the general consensus is the Raptors got to do it now. And they picked up Marcus Ole to try to help that cause. Um, yeah, they again. Teams are going all in. Like this is it. I mean, they Marcus All is a is an all star center for Memphis. Um, Memphis is going nowhere, and uh, they had a center Val Sunis who played great for them, but was slow, not really fit in. And they're just going all in with Marcus All. They have Siakam who played great for them, playing amazing the last few games. Kyle Lowry, uh, Kawhi Leonard. Um, they are, they're going for it. Like, like Toronto's like, let's win them. Let's try to win. Let's get to the finals. I mean, you got teams like the Sixers. The Bucks uh, and Toronto uh, that are and the Celtics really. Well, the Celtics, to some extent, they're all going for like we're going to try to make the NBA Finals. That's their goal. And now with the Pacers losing Oladipo, uh, they're probably out of the mix, even though they're playing really well. I mean, they're 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 playing great. But you got really four teams playing for that for that final spot. You know what? What shocked me this season? I thought that the Celtics were going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, they they missed Gordon Hayward all the last year. Um, Kyrie wasn't there down the stretch either, and they were good. And they're just not good this year. Ira, what is going on with them? I won't say that they're six and a half games out. They're not just they're they're good. They're not great. I think that's I think this is again expectations. The expectations games were they made it to Game Seven, the NBA Finals. They only LeBron's. Magic. I was at that game. One of the greatest performances to to win, to will the team to win. You have their players back. The young players are back. And again, you're running a situation where you have a team and you just you add other players. And Hayward did not fit in. Kyrie doesn't fit in with his team. You have older players with younger players, and it just hasn't worked. And the Celtics keep 
making great moves. And, and, and who knows? And this team could gel. The weird thing about this team is, is that they don't seem to be getting along. And Brad Stevens is this great young coach. You have this coach that's supposedly skilled at getting all these players. It just shows that it's hard. I mean, you, you can be a great coach, and you just don't get the right players, the right mix. You can't just work magic with everybody. You can't just be able to get everybody to play well together. There's certain situations. And he's having trouble this year. And I think Kyrie Kyrie's definitely a tough guy to coach. I mean, it's definitely a tough player, and it's not fitting in. And it's the success last year, sort of, you're asking Rozier to come off the bench. When he was the starter, all, they had that great playoff run. And you're asking Tatum to take a step back and not take all the shots. And Jalen Brown to come off the bench and not take as many shots. And people are changing roles. And their roles were playing great. Some people can only play one set of roles. They're, they're only good as a starter. They're not good as a reserve. They're only good shooting a lot. Um, sometimes you get these players that average 10 points a game and you put them on another team and you say, okay, now you're ready to score 20. They, they can't score 20. They're just a 10-point-a-game scorer. That's all they're good for. So when you ask people to sort of step out and change their roles, it's hard to do. They're running that same problem. They can't figure out what their roles are in Boston, and that's hurting them. And, and that's, but they still have 25 more games to get it together. Francis TFO joins us in just a moment here on Ira on Sports. But first, I we really had to rush through the uh, Super Bowl last. You know, you were at the Super Bowl, and we kind of I didn't get everything out of you that I wanted. So uh, tell us a little bit about what happened after the game. Well, uh, yeah, we rushed. We rushed for it. What's interesting is after the game is over, the whole stadium gets filled with confetti. Just amazing amounts of confetti comes down on it, and. Uh, I like the fact that we, I love the ceremony because it was neat that there was so many Patriots fans were there. How you had Brits Wolfhook, Emmett Smith, and Joe Namath, and they carry the white gloves and they're carrying the trophy and they're bringing it up there. And then Brady looks at the trophy and he's, and he's holding the trophy with his daughter. And you can see the picture of him looking at the trophy. It's so clean. And you can see the mirror, the reflection of his daughter and Brady holding the trophy. I love that. Just love that look. Um, Kraft up there with Goodell. I mean, when Goodell was announced, the booing was unbelievable. Like even with Goodell, with Kraft and Brady, they still booed. I mean, it's like it's like plus or minus. Whatever. It's, it's like they were going to boo Goodell with anybody. They, it was just Goodell and Brady, Goodell and Kraft. You know, they were just booing him. They just do not like Roger Goodell at all in New England. And then to see the embrace between Brady and Edelman, that was great. Um, everyone said, you know, was, was Brady upset because Edelman won the MVP. I, I think he was very happy that Edelman won the MVP and was able to do that. And then it was funny after the game is everybody's trying to search for merchandise, always buy mementos, like all the Ram stuff is still there. You can buy whatever you want for the Rams, but there's no street stuff anywhere. And then just go back at the West and, and uh, I went back there. And there was maybe like 400 people, 500 Patriots fans celebrating. And then when they play the Queen, We Are the Champions song, just awesome. Just, you know, when people are singing it loud, and they, then they're singing Sweet Caroline, um, the Neil Diamond song. Uh, it was really, I'm not, look, I'm not a Patriots fan, I'm a Steelers fan. I wish we could play, like, here we go, Steelers, stuff like that. But it was exciting to see that and be around that. And uh, it, was, it was just just to be in that atmosphere. And then the fly out the next day, and everybody has their Patriot gear on, and whatever, and then the Rams fans are there, and they're sad, and it was, it was exciting to see that, too. But uh, it's interesting from the, from the post-game of it, you know, as we talked about a little last week, uh, the New England parade, uh, probably one of the most exciting parades to watch. Uh, they were, everyone was pumped, everyone was excited. I think they had the highest attendance they've had at a parade they've done. The weather was, was pretty good for that. Um, but I watched it on TV, it was exciting. And uh, you know, now Brady and Belichick are in that pantheon of all-time greats, and and McVeigh is no longer a genius, and Jared Goff might not have a job next year. So, certainly Super Bowls, you don't want to, it's the one game, the loser that the loser does, it, it, it is, you don't want to be the loser of the Super Bowl because it, you just get smashed now for the next six months. 
I do think it's a little ridiculous that people are already calling for Jared Goff to you know, not be the starter for the team anymore. They were a great offense all year. The kids made leaps and bounds under McVay, and now they're ready to you know, cast him away for, what, Ryan Tannehill or Nick Foles? I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Um, this is going to be a really weird fantasy year, and we can, you know, we're both big fantasy guys. If you have the number one pick, I think it's a bad thing this year. I, I never like the first pick. I like picking last, but... If you have the number one overall pick, what do you do? I'm never going to take a guy in a new position. So uh, Le'Veon Bell, for the most part, is not going to be on the Steelers next year. Uh, I'm not touching him no matter where he goes because I just don't know how how someone's going to work out. Same thing with Antonio Brown. I love the guy, but if he's in San Francisco or somewhere, I'm putting other receivers ahead of him. So how do you think the first pick should go down? It's so funny. I was talking to a friend of mine, and they're like, I'm going to talk about fantasy on on the air. They're like, fantasy like who cares about fa- you're talking to the draft is in september and i'm like but then i talk to other people and they don't say the first question is what are the steelers going to do next year who's going to win the super bowl and who's the number one fantasy player i mean it's the number one topic if you go google the number one nfl topics right now it's who's the number one fantasy player next year it's crazy mm-hmm. but people are obsessed because a lot of people don't they're not playing fantasy basketball rarely i don't know anyone playing fantasy baseball and they just it's like fantasy football year round and they just are thinking and thinking and thinking and everyone is you know everyone's talking about fantasy football even now and i think that you're right the point is is that everyone thought early i went and looked right before the, the playoff start you can't early, number one every, you can't every, take early you could have, i had yeah, 20 services had girly one. And now the last thing you want to do is get a back that's going to be in a timeshare. Like you never thought. So you have to get backs that are going to get all the carries, all the passes, play all three downs, a back that's going to be there all the time, or a wide receiver. And the weird thing is this year the, the wide receivers are not that. Like Antonio Brown, how good is he going to be? And where's the wide, wide receiver position? And then the running backs, so many of these backs have timeshares. I mean, I looked at Matthew Berry's once. He had Saquon Barkley uh, of, of the Giants as the number one pick. But are you nervous? Like, what happens if the Giants have another bad year? What is their quarterback situation? What if they put a rookie in a quarterback? I mean, are you sure to take Barkley as your number one pick? And then Ezekiel Elliott is great for the, the Cowboys. But, again, he doesn't put up great, great numbers. And, and what if their offensive line isn't that good and he doesn't run well? And then they have Gurley, and then you have McCaffrey for Carolina, who doesn't really run the ball well but just catches the ball. And James Conner for the Steelers? I mean, that, he might even be a timeshare in Pittsburgh, and who knows what's happening. And Kamara is great. I love Kamara as a running back. But he's in a timeshare in New Orleans. There's really just not. And then you look at the wide receivers. You have Adams for Green Bay. But, I mean, are you sure what happens if, 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 if no uh, chance, Aaron Rodgers yeah. gets hurt? Um, Hopkins for, for um, Houston. Uh, again, if Deshaun Watson gets hurt, Tyrone Hill. I like Michael Thomas. But you're right. I don't think there's not just a number one pick. I don't think there's a number one, two, three, four. If I had a chance, I'd rather be drafting like the end of the first round so then you get the beginning of the second round rather than try. Because you know that if you make a mistake in that first, the people that drafted Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt, they weren't playing in the, in the fantasy the playoffs. They were out. If you mess up with that first pick, you're, 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 there's no way you're going to win. No, you're absolutely right, and that's. I mean, like I said, I always like the end of the the end of the draft in football. Um, but yeah, this you know, if you have the tenth pick, you can grab Melvin Gordon there, who's pretty much as consistent as can be, and you know exactly what you're getting, and then you're picking four picks rather than just taking a chance on somebody. I mean, even David Johnson last year, who was ridiculous two years ago, 
or th- three years ago, I should say, then you know missed all all of uh, you know missed two years ago, but came back this year and didn't do much. So you really you have to hit on your first round pick, and it's it, you're exactly right. If you're one of those teams that doesn't hit on your first round pick, you're not making the playoffs. It's just maybe you're making the playoffs, but you ain't winning anything. And by the way, fantasy baseball, I have a minor league system in my fantasy league, so you do know somebody who does that. Um, down here in Miami, new coach, nobody really knows anything about him, as Alex Reamer said last week. But what are you thinking about uh, Brian Flores? I love what Alice's comment was great. I mean, here's a guy who's been covering New England football, who's in there. The heartbeat of New England is a reporter in New England. And, and, and you ask him, what do you know about him? Nothing. And it's, it's interesting. As I have friends who are in coaching. I mean, it's like every year I'm traveling. I have more uh, New Mexico, Canisius. I mean, my friend Mike Adelino, who we had on the show. I mean, he's bound every year he's at another school. And that's what you got to do. You just keep bouncing around, improving your position, moving somewhere. Even if you're the head coach, you're always taking another job. But as an assistant, you're moving almost every single year. Brian Flores played at Boston College. He's been at the Patriots since 2005 for 14 years. He hasn't done – he's been scouts. Special teams assistant, assistant offense, special teams, defensive assistant, safety coach, linebackers coach. He's just been there, not coached anywhere else. It's so un- it's so just unusual. Now, if you're ever going to be in one program, one issue, one team, and can learn everything, the Patriots are probably the best place to learn. I mean, they're the number one they're franchise. So clearly, I can see why they hired him. And it's different than I realize that the Patriot coaches haven't done well. In the, in the Charlie Weiss was forty-one and nine in college. Romeo Cornell twenty and fifty-five. Eric Mangini thirty-three and forty-seven. Bill O'Brien's done okay with the Texans. Uh, Josh McDaniels didn't do well eleven and seventeen. And Patricia for Detroit hasn't done did poorly last year, but. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting that he's been with the Patriots. And, but these coaches all coach other places. Like, to only coach in one, he went, and he went right out. He didn't play in the NFL. He was hurt. He played linebacker Boston College, got hurt, stayed in New England, went to coach for the Patriots, and never coached under another system. Um, and so it's going to be interesting. Nobody knows anything about him. And he could be this great hire, or it could just be a disaster. But uh, it's, a, it's a risky move, considering that he doesn't give interviews. There's an issue whether he even called the plays on defensive plays in New England, and you don't hear a lot of players talking. Like when you saw him on the sidelines, you saw Josh McDaniels and 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 Brady work, but you really, I mean, Flores, if he was the defensive coordinator last year, <laughs> I mean, Patricia, they they didn't get a lot of credit for the for the Super Bowl when the Philadelphia scored all the points on him. But um, it, it's just interesting hire, and I don't think anyone knows, and we'll just see what happens. Ira, uh, before we get to Francis TFO, I know we're running behind. A new football league started <laughs> started up over the weekend. It's the AAF, I believe, the Alliance of American Football. Um, uh, you know what? In the ratings, they did better than some big primetime NBA games. So people are taking to this. What's your thoughts on the new AAF? Well, I caught, I caught one of the games. I mean, look, you love football. I actually liked it because... I wanted to see what – this is not a league that's going to go against the NFL. A lot of the NFL was sort of behind this. They're almost using this as a spring football league to, to work. It, 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 they have their – the XFL is clearly not – the XFL is going to start next year, and that's not aligned with the NFL. This is sort of aligned with the NFL to some extent in terms of what they've been – the NFL has been looking at, and they're trying out stuff. I mean, it's not run by the NFL, but it has an interest in it. I mean, there's no kickoffs, no extra points. Um, if you want to do an onside kick, you get it on the, the fourth and 12 on your own 28. Um, there's a, there's um, a sky judge that overrules you. We're not going to have the New Orleans play. Um, it's the players. I was surprised. I thought you'd have better players. There's a lot of players that aren't playing. I think I thought I, so too. I, I, I thought, yeah, I was. The, the, I real, the, the draw player, is Christian like, Hackenberg. Hackenberg's a quarterback. You know, I think 
There's a lot of players that are playing in Canada right now that might come down for this. The coaches are interesting. Mike Martz, Super Bowl winner for the Rams, plays coach at San Diego. Dennis Erickson, Miami Hurricanes, uh, uh, national championship coach. Mike Riley, coach at San Antonio. Steve Spurrier at Orlando. Um, they're playing in big teams like Arizona and, and Salt Lake City, San Antonio, San Diego, Atlanta, Birmingham, Memphis, and Orlando. So eight fairly big markets. Um, not playing in any NFL stadiums, but in cities that have NFL quality type stadiums. So I don't know. The first week is interesting because people are interested in it. Let's see how it goes on. But people love football and a lot of people don't like basketball at all. And if it's on, they'll watch it. No, I agree with you. And if it, if I knew it was if I knew it was happening, I probably would have tuned in too just to see how it was. I mean, the XFL when it did come on the scene, of course, it didn't last. But it was interesting, and it was weird to see. You know, I, I, I'm a huge baseball fan, and it is America's pastime. But let's be let's be honest, NFL's king. So it's interesting to see different takes on a game everybody is always glued to. Ira, before we get to Francis, anything you want to uh, say about uh, our man? Um. Yeah. Well. The amazing thing about Francis Tiafo, he's the son of Sierra Leone immigrants. He came to the USA Tennis Center at, at, at age four, and, or, or actually, when he was, and then and he started playing tennis. Um, his father was helped to construct the tennis center, and then was the superintendent of the, the tennis center there. So he just grew up and actually had a had a, an apartment at the tennis center. So he's like staying there in the apartment at the tennis center, um, and as a little kid, just hitting tennis balls, and became super a superstar. When as a young little kid, learning how to play, um, he won the Orange Bowl tournament when he was 15 years old in 2013, the youngest player to ever win that. Um, last year, he won the Delray Open. Uh, which was was great, and then he went to Miami and he lost, and he won three rounds there and lost to Kevin Anderson from South Africa in the fourth round. And the French, he, he's been getting tough draws in some of these tournaments last year. The French, he played Sam Query with eleven seed, he lost him in four sets. In Wimbledon, he won two rounds and lost to Karen Kachanov, who's a really good player in five sets. In the Open, I saw him play in the Open, and he had a really tough match against Demar, this great young guy from Canada. Um, he got to play in Davis Cup, uh, two matches against Croatia. And then in the Paris Masters, he got to play in that tournament in a limited field, and he lost to the number four seed there. But he had, so again, he'd done, he won Delray, had advanced a little bit. Um, but the key thing was that he had had experience in running. He does, looks like he's playing well in these five set matches. And to understand, there's four tournaments besides Davis Cup, which doesn't count in terms of rankings. There's four tournaments a year that play five sets, everything else is best of three sets. And, though, and, and it's a totally different mindset. These tournaments, these tournaments are, these matches are four to five hours long. There are seven, there's fields of, you have to play seven rounds. So you have to be in great shape physically and mentally. And a lot of these Americans that have come on the scene have just not had that mental toughness. They'll, they'll look great in a set. They'll win a set 6-0, but they can't just hold these teams out. What makes the doll, Federer, Djokovic so great? They can, they can play five hours. They can play five hours and play every point like it's the most important point. Their mental toughness and their physical mm-hmm. toughness is just surpassing everything. And that's what you have to do. And there's a lot in Francis TFO that looks like he's only 21, that he could be someone that could win these five-set matches and, and, and win these Grand Slams. And at the Australian Open, he won his first-round match, and then he had number 5 seed Anderson, who beat him all these other times. And he was able to beat Anderson in four sets, one of the best servers in the game, and was able to break his serve four times. And then in the third round, uh, he won. And in the fourth, he beat Dimitrov, who was a, a numbers the 20 seed. And he had, ended up losing to Zendal in the quarters, which is no, you know, not a problem to lose to one of the greatest players of all time in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. But I think it's going to set us up great for the rest of the year. He's playing in New York now in the tournament. It's going to be in Delray next week. 
then to Miami, uh, the first then, and then, or actually go at Indian Wells, and then Miami, and then the French and, and Wimbledon and U.S. Open, see what happens. But this is, a, as I said earlier in the show, he's 29 in the world. To get in that tippy top, top 10, top 5, it's just going to have to make huge improvements in his game. And I'm glad we had him on our show, and we're going to play that interview, I guess, right now. 95.9, the True Oldies channel. You're listening to Ira on Sports. I'm Mike Balsama. Let's bring in our good friend of the show, Francis TFO. He's been on here before. Excellent young American tennis player. Francis, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Francis. Thanks for coming on. Um, wow, what a what an amazing uh, time you had in January in the Australian Open. We talked to you uh, last year after you just won the Delray Open, and then to go to Australia and win uh, four rounds and, and lose to Nadal in the quarterfinals. Tell us about that experience of actually making it to the second day of a, of a major. Yeah, no, it was um, it was unbelievable. It was definitely unbelievable. I played. Played some great tennis, um, some unbelievable experiences I had, and it's 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 truly still surreal for me. And I and I hope uh, I can keep this momentum going. So, in the second round, you played Kevin Anderson, who beat you in Miami last year, uh, ranked fifth in the world. Everybody knows how he did in the Wimbledon, uh, one of the greatest servers in tennis. Uh, but just a, a, in, a, in, a, in a gripping four-set match, you lost the first set and won the final three. I mean, finally to beat Anderson, that was that must have been I mean, your greatest win of your career. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it was a huge win. Obviously, he beat me so many times last year, um, and I finally finally got over that. That, that hump but it's a new year so maybe I can get him in the new year so uh, it, it, it was nice to beat him I played some great tennis and um, I definitely thought he thought he was going to roll over me again Right. I mean, you broke him four times and people remember about Anderson. He, you know, he's as the hardest serving uh, serve in the game. Uh, your return of serve. You talked about the last year on the show. You want to improve that. You certainly have improved the return of serve to be able to break Anderson four times. And actually, I think won 40 percent uh, on serves on your return points, which is amazing against someone like Anderson. Yeah, you know, I definitely that was always in the offseason. I did a ton of ton of returns. Ton of returns, and then, and then obviously my serving first of all. I mean, trying to just improve that. Then obviously, um, you know, if you can get, if you're able to get a, your teeth the more return games, if you put more pressure on on these guys, so um, I'm glad it's paying off. So, and now you made it to the third round of Wimbledon, the second round of the U.S. Open, the quarterfinals at Australian. What you're doing that's different than a lot of other players is you're doing great in these Grand Slams where there's five sets. Why do you think you're, what is, what is your, uh, why do you think you're doing so well in these Grand Slams uh, in terms of, and what do you think looking for for the future in terms of continued success? Uh, I mean, just keep getting the gym, keep getting the gym, keep staying fit. Um, keep believing, you know. Keep believing you stay the course uh, three out of five match and, and beat these top guys. You know, obviously they're beatable. Um, you know, they wake up every day and put their shoes and socks on just like you do. So um, why not? And then you played Nadal in the quarterfinals. Um, what was it like now? You've now played Federer in a Grand Slam at the U.S. Open, Nadal at the at the Australian Open. Uh, what was that experience about playing Nadal uh, in, in the Australian Sorry, say that again. Uh, what was your? How was it? How was it like playing Nadal in the in the quarterfinals? And now it's a because you played Federer at the U.S. Open two years ago, and now you got the chance to play Nadal in the Australian. Yeah, no, great experience for me. Uh, you know, I mean, he he, he played he played a hell of a match, and you know, hats off to him. Uh, it, it was nice having that moment. Obviously, Rod Laver was watching as well, and um, you know, to play to play a 
grade that deep in the Grand Slam, obviously need to be doing something right. So um, I, I was just happy I got you know to share the court with them, and hopefully it's uh, many more times of it. So um, we're down here in West Palm Beach. You're coming back in a couple of weeks and now defending a title, which is great, than Delray Beach Open. Uh, you must be excited about that, to come back down to Florida and to actually be the defending champion of a tournament. No, it's cool. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely really cool. I'm, uh, I'm definitely excited. I was, you know, you can argue that was, you know, a big turning point in my career. Um, and so, you know, to, to, to go back and relive those memories is going to be nice. And uh, hopefully I can do it again. Okay, this just a couple more questions. One is the you are now ranked thirtieth in the world. We talked to you last time, and I think you were in the late high forties. But in order to get from thirty to top ten, what do you think you have to do the rest of this year in terms of your game? What do you have to improve in in order to break make that jump from being thirtieth in the world to be a top ten player? Stay the course. Stay the course every week. I mean, it's obviously a day to day thing. You know, just do the right things every day. You know, keep keep going to work every day. Keep my head down and. And just uh, hold myself to high standards every day. You know, if I keep this level up, I don't see why not. Uh, but obviously, you know, there's, there's things that go into it. You know, when the right match at the right time, obviously, it's like that as well. And, but uh, just putting yourself in positions to win, win a bunch of matches and, you know, sky's the limit. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you very much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Best of luck. I, I stayed up late watching all your Australian Opens. Uh, every match started around 3.30 in the morning. So we look forward to yeah. um, success this year in, uh, and also come down to Delray and defend the title. Be back-to-back to be a back-to-back champion of the tournament. So look forward to seeing I you in that. a couple weeks. Appreciate Thank you very much. Gotta love having the future of American tennis right here on Ira on Sports. That's what you're listening to. It's 8.03. We're a little bit old, uh, over. Uh, but before we wrap this up, Ira, you mentioned that you're going to be at Riviera this week. We love uh, we love golf here on Ira on Sports. But Pebble Beach is in the books, and a familiar face is in the winner's circle. Well, Phil Mickelson won it. I mean, for, he, won, he was number two of the Desert Classic earlier this year. Uh, and then he comes back and he now won Pebble Beach. He, it was it was delayed. He wanted to finish last night. If anyone saw the weather on Sunday, they were it was it was hailstorms, uh, snow. It was every kind of weather you could uh, possibly imagine. It was not this beautiful uh, picturesque setting. Uh, but Phil was able to to grit it out, and, and he it, actually a three stroke win over Casey, finishing the final two holes today. Um, uh, Jason Day was minus thirteen. Uh, Patrick Reed minus seven. I mean, there's some big names in the field. Not the huge names that'll be at the Riviera, but a great win. I mean. He's uh, 49 years old, going to be 49. It's his 44th tournament win. And remember, he went from 2013 to 2018 without winning a title. And then he won World Golf Championship in Mexico last year. Now to win this this year, I think it gives him a, a lot of encouragement coming in. I mean, look, when Phil Mickelson's playing great, when Tiger's playing great, this golf's great. And uh, and you want him to you want to be playing great going into into the season. And the Masters is right around the corner. Uh, and you have the Honda Classic, and, and which I don't know if he's going to play this year or not the way the tournament's set up. But, uh, I mean, boy, it would be, <laughs> it'd be great to have, have uh, all the big names at the Masters on that final day. Uh, it, it's just very exciting. And Phil made some big shots. He's playing really, really well. And it's not just he, he won the tournament. He's, he certainly shoot a 19-under at Pebble Beach. And remember, this is where the U.S. Open is next year, is this year. And that's where Tiger had his great victories. And Phil's 
uh, would, would be going for his first U.S. Open. Um, so it'll be, uh, it, it, this is great. Having Phil winning this tournament is awesome, and I can't wait for a great year in golf. You know, uh, Phil had a good weekend, but yesterday at Okahili, I had a birdie and four pars, so I think my weekend might have been a little bit better as far as my skill level goes. Ira, we're running out of time. Um, we, what are you doing this week? You said you're heading back to L.A. This should be a good one. Yeah, I'll just, I, the Riviera is a great tournament. It's a, it's picturesque. It's in a, it's, it's a, it's a tournament that is in, like, if you look around, all the homes are around the tournament, the, the golf tournament, and it's in a ravine, sort of, and, 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 but it's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's just stunning. It's right in Brentwood. It's right in Los Angeles, right at the Brentwood area, uh, of Los Angeles. Um, there's, it's impossible. Luckily, I'm able to walk to it where I stay in LA. And it's very convenient for me to walk down to it because there's no parking at all around there at all. Uh, but it's a it's a great tournament. When Tiger came last year, that was his first big tournament that he came back to, and the, the fairways were just lined with people. I saw him playing the pro am with Mark Wahlberg on Wednesday. I don't know who he's playing with this year, uh, but I just know I'll be out there on Wednesday at like 6 a.m. to see him play because that's usually when he he wants to be the first person out. But uh, no, I'm excited to walk uh, to watch some golf. So it'll be great. I'm excited to uh, hear all about it, and you will too, next week on Iron Sports. Thank you so much to Francis Tiavo for stopping by. I'm Mike. He's Ira. Let's talk next Monday night, Iron Sports.